welcome back to our second student episode. As we mentioned last week, we're releasing content created by our Baruch College students over the past year. And this work comes to us from different sections of LTS 1003, Latin America, an institutional and cultural survey, LTS 3012, Latinas, a social and cultural survey, and LTS 3085, Latinx screens, film, TV, and video. For these classes, we each offer students the option of completing a podcast episode for their final project. Other options might include a paper, a video, or a social media-based project. It depends on the course. Since students are assigned to listen to podcasts throughout the semester, they grow accustomed to what they sound like, and it helps them plan out how they might want to present their own research in this medium. For most students, creating a podcast was something they had never done before, and we're proud of them for stepping outside of their comfort zone and trying something new. Kudos. At the end of the semester, we asked students who submitted a podcast episode for their permission to share their research on this platform. A handful of students granted us that permission. Last week, we brought you three student projects from LTS 1003, 3012, and 3085. This week, we'll be presenting two more student projects, one from LTS 1003 and the other from LTS 3012. As we mentioned before, their work is presented as they created it with very minimal editing for sound levels and similar such issues. We have not edited them for content. In this episode, we feature projects by LTS 3012 students Maritza Cintron and Kelly Hiralal. Maritza and Kelly were students in my spring 2021 class. The other project is from LTS 1003 students Carla Alberto and Genesis Ramos. Maritza and Kelly's project focuses on Latina stereotypes, especially those around the hypersexualization of Latinas, dual identities, and machismo. As part of their episode, they reference some of the works of literature we read in class during the semester, including Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo, Don't Ask Me Where I'm From by Jennifer De Leon, How to Leave Hialeah by Janine Capo Cruset, and Once I Was You by Maria Hinojosa. Genesis and Carla's project also looks at women, but under very different circumstances. They study the Trujillo dictatorship in the Dominican Republic and investigate the treatment of women at that time both by the dictator himself and men in general. Both projects consider the treatment of women and question what can be done to change these historical precedents. We hope you enjoy them. Buenas noches a todos. Welcome to the Late Night Podcast with Maritza and Kelly. I am your host, Maritza. And I'm Kelly. For newcomers on this podcast, we focus on social and cultural topics. So today's topic is discovering Latinas. It's sad to say that nowadays people tend to ignore Latina issues. From media to politics to social media and the media, it showcases Latina women as spicy, loud, curvaceous, passionate, criminals, very religious and sexual. And that's how society views Latinas. However, no one asks a Latina herself what it means to be Latina. And that's my question for you, Maritza. What does it mean to be a Latina? Well, it's more complicated to explain in just one sentence or in a few seconds. That's why I'm glad that we're doing this to dig a little bit deeper today and inform people. That's all our Latina viewers. Um, this week's podcast is dedicated to what it 
what it's like to be a Latina in the U.S. in 2021. And today we will indulge in topics such as hypersexualization, dual identity, and machismo by utilizing experiences from real Latina authors and showcasing how identity impacted Latinas culturally. We mentioned hypersexualization in the beginning. What do you? What is? What are your views on it? Well, Latinas have been portrayed as the embodiment of desire for years. And the blame falls on the media that helps perpetuate the image of the thick accent, curvaceous, sexual, light brown skinned Latina that is waiting for her white savior. What do you mean by white savior? Like, I, I don't know if you noticed, but in all the movies where there is a woman that is the maid or, or just the poor girl that happens to be a Latina, she always falls in love, not with a Latino man. It's always a white man with money that comes and saves her from her misery. Yeah, and that's another issue. They're portraying Latinas as um, gold diggers to, like they need a white man to take them out of their quote-unquote misery. Exactly. That's why I I blame it on media. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, besides the fact that um, uh, brown bodies have been uh, over-sexualized and exoticized by Hollywood, especially their breasts and their behinds, (laughs) Kelly, one would think, what is the problem with being considered sexy? And the problem is that not all Latinas are curvaceous or have light brown skin. It gives society the wrong idea of what these women are supposed to look. And it's putting unnecessary stress on young girls that do not feel identified with cultural icons like Jennifer Lopez or Salma Hayek. Nowadays, we have these little girls who want to look you know not even little girls in general I know when I was um in middle school and actually in high school um I wanted the hourglass body I wanted the big chest I wanted the you know the thighs and everything but that's how media portrays Latina women and I know I'm telling you I know I'm not Latina but you know most of the people I follow on Instagram happens to be Latina and how their body looks like is how you define it okay have you seen like the the tiny waist and the big head. Yes. <laughs> so once I, when I moved here, I realized that, okay, Latinas are portrayed all like big boobs, big butts and tiny waist. And back home in Peru, it's the same thing. But then I saw people from other places that didn't have huge breasts. And I didn't have <laughs> huge breasts growing up, but I felt the need to fit in and to be like, more attractive to guys to get breast implants and I got them but now I I realized that (laughs) it was not because I needed it but because I felt that I was not a woman (laughs) because I didn't have big boobs. Nowadays people are always praising Jennifer Lopez and um, Sofia Vergara which she's beautiful of course everybody knows how beautiful she is but everybody looks at her and you know she's aging as she gets older and then people are like Oh, Sofia Vergara from 1995 to 2021, and her body's all different. That aging is also a crime for women in general. I think um, tropicalism is one of the, the problems here because it erases the fact that we are all individuals. The idea that we all have to look the same, it's just crazy. People think about bright colors and rhythmic music, brown skin to being a Latina. And uh, like tight clothing and the hips and breasts and brunette hair to being 
a Latina woman. And it shouldn't be like that, but it's the idea. If you mention to a guy, hey, um, what am I talking about? Red colored lips, tight clothing, curvaceous hips. I'm pretty sure he's going to say Latina. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> if you were to tell me that, I would probably think a Latina woman. How did we all end up in one box? Then you try to explain that to me. <laughs> it's crazy, right? It is crazy. Uh, Latina women get harassed and sexually assaulted in public because men think that we are there for their consumption. How Latina women are, you know, their body is the reason why they're Latina. Have you seen the movie Hot Pursuit with Reese uh, Witherspoon and Sofia Vergara? I have not, but I've seen like most the covers that was on the billboards and um, actually the bus a few times. Exactly. I'm talking about that same billboard. So in the publicity poster, we can see Witherspoon standing with crossed arms, dressed as a, as a police officer, and the phrase straight shooter next to her. Looks very mature in that picture. Uh-huh. And on the other side, we see Sofia Vergara with a shirt that accentuates her waist and breast next to the phrase dangerous curves. Even the way they're standing, one is all serious, like I'm formal, and the other one is like, hey, come here. Like, yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Definitely. You know, why is the white woman seen as a professional, more mature person? And you look at her, you know, she's looked at as the sex doll. There's a study that says that people tend to racialize and genderize media representations. So this is exactly what is going on here. People are going to see this and they're always going to think about white and professional and being a Latina and practically not so professional and being a flirt. That's terrible. I know. There's so many examples. Like there's a, a book called Club When You Land with Jahaira being sexually harassed while riding the train. And I, she- I'm sorry. I have read that book and I, I truly love that book because um, they go over a lot of things in that book, but especially the one what you mentioned with the harassment. Amazing point to bring up. And again, we see like men entitle men to just take what they think is there for their consumption. And we're not a product out there. We're people, you know, <laughs> crazy. Now, dual identity is a topic that is not discussed as frequently, and it's definitely an issue. Many Latinas live a double identity in a sense that the person they are at home and the language they speak and the way they act is many times not the same as the ones performed outside their homes. So let's hear you with more information. Dual identity is basically the struggle Latinas go through, well, Latinas for now, go through living in two cultures. For Latinas at home, they embrace their heritage while balancing America, which is very whitewashed. And it's difficult because being a woman in Latinx culture while balancing an American culture is difficult since she is said to not be true to her culture. I was reading um, an article, and basically this woman, this Arthur Claudia Ortega Lucas, she moved to the U.S. And I've heard of Spanglish. I've heard of, um, you know, Latinos getting a little mixed up with Spanish and English. And apparently a Latina with higher education is judged based on her language. The better your English is, people assume you're smarter. And if you have an accent, if English is your second language, so you get stuck with words, apparently you're dumb, you know? 
<laughs> but they do not understand that we have to translate in our heads. Like I literally have to translate in my head and then it just comes like out. And there are so many words in Spanish that do not have a translation in English. And the, there are also some words in English that I just do not know how to say in Spanish. So that's why sometimes I use Spanglish. But mm-hmm. yes, I definitely get judged a lot. People do not know how I sound in Spanish and they find it hard to believe. Like I have a bachelor's in finance back home. And if I tell them that, they're like, what, really? They're surprised because I do not always have the right words to express myself in English. So it's frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. But yeah, Claudia was talking about how um, she felt like she didn't belong in her country because she knows English, she knows Spanish, but she feels like her balance with her home language as well as her second language become difficult because her family will say she is whitewash. Claudia was talking about how she got called Malinchista. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yes. Um, she said um, Latinas with absence in school, work, or any public area in America would be judged. Whites were telling to go back to her country, and then there's a struggle. That, that, there's a struggle that she has to balance with her English and her home language. I yeah. Sorry about that. But in here, it was here, right? Her experience in the school in the U.S.? Yeah. yeah. We got judged a lot because I was in second or third grade. My English, I have an accent, and that didn't change. So I don't know what that professor was thinking, but he was wrong. He got me standing in front of the class for like an hour repeating burger, burger, because I can pronounce it right. And I said, well, no, if I can, but I was like burger, burger. And he told me, no, you're pronouncing it wrong. Eventually you're going to get the words right, but you just need your time because this is completely different. It's a different language. And the fact that we know that a burger is an hamburguesa, we're already doing a lot you know, we're learning, we're kids, so, yeah. Yeah, and then also, when I was reading through the article, I remember her mentioning, and I'm quoting from this, however, for a long time, I felt like I didn't belong here, and I didn't belong in Mexico either. Navigating two worlds was not precisely difficult, but sometimes unsettling. You spend your time living, switching from English to Spanish to Spang- to Spanglish, and back again. You mix chula with five guys, hamburgers. You watch American soccer, but listen to Mexican commentators. And you truly think Mexican soccer fans are like the old Oakland Raiders fans. Only worse, women in Mexico are um, rabid fans and many men, as many men. But at least back in my day, I, you, don't, you didn't see many women go to stadium. I know that's a lot to take in, but how would you differ, differentiate yourself from... Peru and America. We're definitely more conservative at home. Yeah. I don't know. We, women are supposed to be polite, always sweet, and to a certain point, submissive, but not that much because, like, my grandmother, she's not submissive at all. She's a lawyer, and she will fight her ground. But other women I've seen that are really submissive, and here in New York, I've seen that women are wild. <laughs> Honestly, they're like, we have the same rights, you know? And they'll fight for it. But little girls are not as polite as back home. Like back there, we're like really nice to older people. And we say please and thank you. And we keep our voice down and stuff like that. And here, I I just don't see it. Like I don't see that same respect for adults. But maybe that's just the area where I lived. I don't know if it's the same everywhere. 
No, because I was brought up like that to be a good person, good girl. Don't talk back to anybody. But at the same time, my parents definitely gave me, um, you know, don't let people walk all over you. And it seems like you you were brought up in a very great family. Oh, thank you. Um, another book I was reading, I don't know if you ever read, um, read it, um, Once I Was You by Maria Hinjoso. Mm-hmm. And she brought up something really interesting. And I want to know if you ever felt it. But let me tell you what she talked, she mentioned. So in chapter six, she had an interview for a job, a production assistant, right? And the interviewer said, I have never met a Latina, Ivy Leaguer, radio producer, international traveler who loves theater, speaks two languages, and is so politically aware. I doubt there are any more out there. That is that is crazy. That's honestly crazy. We have a bunch of really smart, educated Latinos in general, you know, but the problem is that maybe they do not get the chance to be there because their resume didn't make it to the, <laughs> to the person that is making the call or uh, they get judged by their name and yeah, just put aside, you know, we don't get the same opportunities and we're not all starting from the same, the same start point. So I just think that people are not realizing that there's more, more Latinos out there looking for chances and they're really smart. They, they went to good colleges and uh, they are capable they just need an opportunity when they give us an opportunity we can prove that we're capable and then they're willing to give other women the chance most cultures put their pride in men i know for the men are more dominant and just known as machismo which is men are the ones to lead the family and for latinos today it's actually a major issue so let's start with machismo then let's start with a basic definition taken from a dictionary what is machismo it is a strong or exaggerated sense of manliness. It is strong or exaggerated sense of power or the right to dominate. In Latinx community, machismo is similar to a disease. They, it seems to be having a, a really attached definition to our culture. And it's really, really hard to get rid of. And the question is like, why can we get rid of machismo? And it's because we keep raising our kids with the same outdated ideas that come from gender roles. Patterns are very hard to break, especially the ones ingrained in people's minds for centuries. Machismo is dangerous for society. Men believe in they have to be the alpha male and women have to be submissive. It's just outrageous, especially yeah. it brings violence, right? Yes, definitely. Um, uh, I was actually reading through a couple statistics and 34.4 of Latinas have experienced domestic violence and it's to, and it's happened to actually rise during COVID-19 because roughly half of Latinas report domestic abuse. Like the men that used to go to work, now are stuck at home. <laughs> yeah, and then for Latinas, in many cases, um, it would be such that she's going to be a shameful, she's going to be ashamed to the family if she reports the abuse. But she's getting abused physically and mentally. The fact that you have to bring that, it's, uh, shame it's like it ruins the reputation of the family it's really disheartening and you know for latinos in many cases many times they think um they think they caused that reaction and the man is innocent and in other cases they are afraid of repercussions for example more violence towards them and their children being deported yeah that's really messed up and i think women support this the victims become a supporting agent because the mother of the the guy it's like Oh, she's not listening to you? Beat her up, like, pégale, que aprenda, you know? She has to learn. 
everything that they went through, they're telling their kids that that's okay behavior. They need to put their women down for them to be good wives. And the, the mother of the, the wife might be like, oh, pero que hiciste? What did you do? Uh, what did you do to cause this? Oh, he's a good man. Just be a good wife. You know, it's, it's your fault. And you can't leave because then you leave your, your kids without a family. What are people going to think? 35% of Latinas have experienced sexual assault and other forms of rape in her life. And then 13.6% of Latinas reported to being sexually assaulted forcefully in their lifetime. And this number increases drastically over the years. So I'm pretty sure it's going to increase if you don't stop it. But And I think this is linked to um, hypersexualization because people think that uh, Latinas are just hypersexual and a woman that is a sexual being and they start thinking, was she really raped or did she want it? Was she asking for it? Why is family important in Latin culture? Okay, let's go to familism versus machismo. Family is very important because in Latinx culture, familism places the family ahead of an individual interest. Because we, back home, sometimes we tend to live all together. I don't know if it's a thing here because I think in uh, white families, like you're 18 and then you're an independent being. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> you oh might, my God. Might I just... can definitely relate to that. So, uh, and being in a house where the man is ahead of the household and men are supposed to protect women. That's how it's seen. And women, we... We love the idea of family, of being all connected. We are raised that way. And in some sort of way, it enforces machismo because it creates that pattern of men being the ones taking care of us. And they show the need to dominate. It's like a cycle because um, it's definitely going to repeat. Another great example that I actually read was in Cop on New Land by Elizabeth. And she states, in the real world, I am not treated as a lady or as a queen, as a defender or opponent, but as a girl, so many want to strike off the board. And do you think family plays, with that quote, do you think that family is the reason why? I don't think so. Because if you live in a, in a home and uh, your dad is obviously the adult, doesn't matter if you're 20, 30, you live in that family, you're still a girl. That's why I don't like the word girl. Because it makes us less than men. So I think that has a lot to do with the patriarchy and all of that. Definitely. Like men are men. And women were girls, you know? That's why they're not taken in consideration. They're, they shouldn't be on the playing field. They should be outside watching the game and cheering for the men to win. How does it represent current day Latinas? It represents the, the struggle that we have in the playing field and in the workforce. We need to work double or triple as hard to be able to enter and be successful and get to the top because we only don't have to fight stereotypes. We have to fight like the glass ceiling. And it's, it's a lot of more work because we are not considered as smart and, and we don't have the same privilege as a white male. I totally agree with you. To conclude our podcast today, in all, we believe it is necessary to stop generalizing all Latinas as one size fits all. 
It feeds into people's ignorance, causing racist encounters and negative attitudes toward the Latinx community. We come from 21 different countries, heritage, culture, and even skin tones. We cannot all be summed up into the same category. One day we will have daughters, nieces, sisters who will grow up living in a society that will constantly ignore these issues because culture gets in the way. Our Latin women will continue to face mental health issues, get raped, assaulted, and abused. But what happened? Some will take their lives. Some will keep quiet. Not only that, little girls will follow in their mother's footsteps and not take the education and grow up to be young mothers who will have encounters with machismo and other issues. The cycle will continue if no changes made now. Welcome to the podcast of Trujillo's Dictatorship. My name is Genesis. And my name is Carla. So we'll be talking about Trujillo and his dictatorship and how he treated women. And our thesis for um, this project is that Trujillo has made significant political and economical progression in the Dominican Republic during his dictatorship. Despite these improvements, Trujillo's dictatorship did more harm than good, including the massacre he caused that killed many people, including women, his machista lifestyle, and his treatment and thoughts towards women. I chose this topic because personally I'm Dominican and I learned a lot about him during my life. So I felt like I wanted to put all that knowledge on paper and really bring all my thoughts together because what really touched me was or what I really wanted to find out was his effects on women. Nice. Um, I also agree. I was super interested in his treatment towards women. But when Carla came to me with this topic, um, it really called my attention because I've really been interested in dictatorships, especially with the countries that I'm from. And the fact that I never heard of Trujillo before really blew my mind because he's a really known dictator and basically because of all the horrible things he's done. And I'm glad that I've been able to educate myself on it and how it has impacted women overall. So who was Rafael Trujillo? So according to history.com, because, you know, we don't know him personally, Rafael Trujillo was a dictator who ruled the Dominican Republic for more than 30 years. He has been credited with improving sanitation, constructing new roads, schools, and hospitals, and increasing the general standard of living for Dominican people. Despite these accomplishments, he participated in heinous human rights abuses, including the torture and murder of thousands of civilians. Women of the Dominican Republic at the time suffered the most during his reign to the little to no respect he had for them all his life. Yeah, and Genesis mentioned some of the things that he did accomplish for the Dominican Republic, but honestly, I think that um, with everything that I've learned in my life, he was a really bad leader. I feel like he influenced a lot of men to act just as he did. And I see a lot of Trujillo and a lot of Dominican men I know now. And it's crazy because his reign ended years ago, but it's true. He enjoyed being known as the most powerful man in the Dominican Republic. But being powerful didn't always mean you're a good leader. And he definitely was not. I agree. And so we're going to start off with gender roles during his dictatorship. And what I first want to mention is this quote that I found on Google about him. And it says that the treatment of women under Trujillo contradicts the image his regimen was trying to create. I mean, like, wow, what does this quote really tell you about him? 
let's get into how he really treated women during government. So in the government. So women would in fact be a part of politics in the Dominican Republic and get jobs in the government, but the jobs will never be as serious or as important as the government jobs given to a man. Women weren't really taken seriously by Trujillo, and he probably set the example for how all men should treat women in the Dominican Republic, ultimately with no respect. Nothing he did was genuine, and he always wanted something out of everything he did. However, it is worth mentioning that Trujillo gave Lina Lavaton Pitaluga queenship, but in the end, she was Trujillo's puppet. I also read an article by Lauren Derby that said, and it seems Trujillo knew that giving Lina the queenship would create a large debt that would have to be repaid. She was expected to praise him because of his queenship, and that's really crazy. He was a true manipulator, and everyone saw it. Wow. Um, I don't know, for some reason, I just like saying her last name, Pitaluja, but anyway, or Pitaluja, <laughs> sorry. So, um, yeah, I feel really bad for her because um, it's almost like she became a little laughing stock. you know what I mean? Like, she thought that she just got the, the queenship and that people were going to look up to her, like she was going to be a woman influencer, like she's his pareja, you know what I mean? So, yeah, for, that's... For yeah, for that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but for that to happen to her, like, it just goes to show how gender, gender roles are in society and how gender, gender roles in the, in the world were at the time, because you never really saw women in politics. Men were always the ones working or no, known to be the one as working because people always said, oh, that's not a woman's job. And I know for a fact, like us being, you know, Hispanic or Latina, you still find that today. You still find the gender roles today saying women belong in the kitchen, women belong taking care of the babies. So I can only imagine how it was about, you know, 60 years ago, 40 years ago and how she felt, you know, because yeah. it must be super frustrating that men always get those get the opportunities to be in politics, to have jobs and women just don't just because they're women. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with you. And um, also with Lena, is that her name? I think that's yeah. her name. With Lena, um, I read something that also said that she was like um, talking about how she was queen now. And she was basically not even like putting herself up. She was basically just talking about Trujillo. He's king. Wow. He's the best. Literally, like she, she, she was mentioning nothing about herself. She was just praising Trujillo. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy to me. And it's perfect because, like, now that we talked about gender roles, we can talk about machismo. And mm -hmm. um, it's clear already that he was super machista, and that was just part of his personality. And um, machismo, what machismo is, is it comes from toxic masculine roots, which is also known as masculine pride. And to just break it down a little more, just in case anybody that's, you know, reading the slide doesn't understand what it is, is basically when um, men are thought to be superior to women, Men are thought to not be allowed to express their feelings. Men are thought to do, quote unquote, manly things. And um, just to give off examples, women are supposed to be seen as sensitive and fragile because they express their emotions. So when a man is seen to be crying, it's not manly enough. So that's where the toxic masculine part comes, because the real right thing to do is to allow humans to express themselves the way they want to, despite their gender. But toxic masculinity doesn't allow that and teaches young boys or even or anybody that's easily influenced to just strictly believe that they're supposed to be manly and that they, they're not allowed to express themselves. The, I don't want to say it the right way, but the way that makes them happy. 
So, um, clearly, um, this man did have a lot of masculine pride and it definitely played a role with how women were affected and treated in the country under his yeah. reign. Yeah, and I, I saw that you mentioned that um, it fell on a lot of young men and I feel like it's true. Like, a lot of young men followed him and wouldn't treat their wives right because they knew that Trujillo, their president, was doing the same thing. So, because yeah. they saw that their president was doing it, they thought like, oh, oh, I don't have to treat you well. I can have three wives. I can have a wife and a girlfriend, right. you know? And I feel like that was really messed up. And he, like, didn't even care that he was influencing all these men to act like this. Or he didn't know, maybe, but I feel like he really didn't care. Yeah. So I found this quote in an article by Nancy Robinson, and she said that this action represented a sheer calamity for the Maribel family who were subsequently harassed, imprisoned, and ostracized by their neighbors. No amount of formal apologies by Minerva's father sent in writing could undo the slight to the dictator's machismo. The Maribel family were one of Trujillo's biggest victims, but we'll talk more about them in a later slide. Yeah, I know we're going to talk about them in a later slide, but I also did find this quote that says, not only did his relationship with his wives show that he had little respect for women, but his inclination towards the female community suggests that he held a sense of entitlement that accelerated his manhood. By Janisa Mendoza, to be a woman, gender, and the death of the Maribel sisters. And the reason why I said that, I'm sorry about bringing this up, is because um, the Maribel sisters just play a huge role into basically exposing how horrible he was. But I don't want to spoil anything yet. I just can't wait for that slide. So, slide six. Let's get into how he actually treated women. So I want to say that this is what really drove me to want to do this topic um, because it really fascinated me how he really treated women and what he did to them. Um, so he always wanted women to obey him. Um, he wanted women to do as he said, and he used women for his personal use more than just like being professional. And yes. He would, also, he would often invite young women to big dances that he would do in his home that were, quote, unquote, for his presidency and for his job, you know. But mm -hmm. he just wanted to do these parties to get women to, uh, to attract to him. He was notorious for kidnapping women in the country and going after women from families with strong social standings. By showing that he had no consideration for the emotion of women, one can assume that he saw them as objects. Therefore, the assassination of the three defenseless women, the Mirabal sisters, was unproblematic to the dictator. So, um, everything that you just told me, honestly, kind of grossed me out because I feel like we're keeping it PG, but reading other articles and just looking into him, he was really just a horrible man and disgusting. And I don't, I don't really want to get a little graphic, but... If I were if I were put in the position that all these women were in during that time, I probably wouldn't be able to survive it because what he was doing was just vile. But it leads into a quote that I found in Elizabeth Manley's book. Uh, sorry for my pronunciation. Ajusteacimiento of the Dictator of Rafael Trujillo. <laughs> so she says, on the afternoon of August 10th, 1959, several dozen Dominican Cuban women gathered in the streets of Havana. Dressed in black as though headed to the funeral, they mourned the political situation in the neighboring Dominican Republic. 
Specifically, they targeted the dictator Rafael Trujillo, calling him the jackal of the Caribbean, as they through the streets carrying place cards and visiting newspaper offices. They were focusing attention on their specific struggles as women and mothers. Their posters read, Dominican women support the revolutionary government. We ask for the expulsion of Trujillo from the OAS, and we represent the morning of the assassinations committed by Trujillo, they told the Cuban newspaper. So, wow, Jackal of the Caribbean. That just tells us that other, other countries, because these were Cuban women, are seeing what this man is doing to the nation, you know? Yeah. And if the fact that it's women speaking out goes to show that it's women, um, <clears throat> sorry, women um, helping out other women, you know? Like, they're there for each other. They see what, what these women are going through. They see his treatment towards women. But they're also highlighting all of his assassinations. And I want to talk about this later later on in the podcast, but I know for a fact that even though other innocent people that weren't women were being killed, it hurt women because women were losing their husbands and their children, their mothers, yeah. their fathers. And it's just like so much mental abuse. Yeah, and I feel like a lot. a lot of men were like, you never saw a man going against Trujillo. Like men were enjoying this maybe. Like I, I haven't seen an article yet or something written on the internet of a man talking bad about Trujillo. It's always, I, everything I've seen is women. Yeah, because most of the men that were being killed were the only ones that were, were what's like, I guess, like the ones that were backing up the women, you know? Yeah. But mm-hmm. other than that, you know, you wouldn't find it. You're right. But here goes about how they were being impacted. So uh, I guess this slide is still appropriate to come after the quote I read, because the quote that I read, clearly shows that outside people were seeing how the women were being impacted mm-hmm. so when women did start to stand up to him and avoided going to his dances his home and getting caught in his power he yeah. treated them with no respect and he was known to support feminism but it obviously was to a certain extent and it was to the point that they resented him for his dirty tricks and i'm assuming that's because he acted like he supported women's rights but that was basically to lure them in which is just yeah gross. they were noticing it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then um they refused to just accept whatever Trujillo was handing to them because they knew that he just had bad intentions and women were objects to him so they weren't even human and it's just sad because the women themselves knew what they were to him and at this point, they were self-aware. And I'm glad they were self-aware because there's so mm-hmm. many women that when they're getting abused, they just stay in that situation because they aren't able to help themselves. But I'm glad these women were able to speak up. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like this is the worst thing he did. He impacted the women in his country who were supposed to be supporting him. But obviously, they couldn't even they wouldn't even do it because they were finding out everything that he was doing and c- catching on to all his little tricks. And I feel like he left women traumatized and it wasn't only in a blue moon. Like this was an everyday thing for him, a regular daily thing for him. And uh, women in the, in the Dominican Republic didn't deserve a president like Trujillo, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, so now we're going to get into the Mirabal sisters. So when I was little and I was first learning about Trujillo, the Mirabal sisters and their case was what was taught to me first. So this is something that I know the most about. And from what I know, um, they intervened with the government issues and they quote unquote do too much. And this is what got them killed. But online, when you search them up, you'll see that 
their death was caused by a car crash, but that's a total lie. Um, although this was a lie, it wasn't a lie that fooled anyone in the Dominican Republic. Everyone knew that um, Trujillo was the cause of their deaths because of his built-up anger and aggression towards them. Um, these women were famous for questioning Trujillo's politics and going against his many beliefs and rules, and they refused to just go along with Trujillo's treatment and disgusting behavior towards women. They were expected to stay quiet about politics because he probably thought that it wasn't a woman's place to speak. But because of this, they helped to organize the underground movement challenging the regimen. The Mirabal sisters were also arrested multiple times because of their acts against Trujillo, but it didn't stop them. They died to change women's rights in the Dominican public. And if they were alive today, they would definitely be proud of themselves because the day that they died marked the beginning of the end of Trujillo's reign. That's so crazy. Um, yeah, it's just a touching story because he's not the first dictator to just shut down people that are, you know, going against them. Because mm-hmm. dictators basically tend to get rid of anybody that's basically a chance to, you know, get their power taken away because dictators obviously don't want that. And what these women were doing what were almost like what the the Cuban women were doing, you know, just speaking about him publicly in a negative light to make sure that he's gone and harming no more girls. So I feel like, I mean, like, I'm sorry for their loss, but in in a way, their death also helped these women because it was brought to light, you know, it was brought to light and people were finally seeing him for how horrible he was. And by people, I guess, I mean, a, 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 a bigger population you know what I mean mm-hmm. for something to actually be done for somebody to actually want to do something which is basically going into our conclusion um <laughs> so just repeating it again during Trujillo's dictatorship women has women has had the worst time due to his machista lifestyle killing innocent people and the poor treatment he had to women overall so um I, I think this leads to our conclusion mostly because we just have to let you guys know that he was assassinated. And obviously the person that assassinated him did everybody a favor. Um, he was just an evil person because even mm-hmm. though he, he was treating women the way he was treating them, just the massacre he caused, I think it's the parsley or the, I, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing, right, I'm pronouncing it right, but I know it starts with a P. But he, like... <laughs> He just he's just a vile man, a horrible man. And yeah, I never really wish death upon anyone, but there's just no positive thing. And because even him um having economic success happen when he came into power isn't enough to convince me that he was a good president because a good president has to be a good person and he was yep. not a good person. Yeah, and I feel like even though this is the end of our project, I want a lot of people to get into Trujillo and really know what how he affected women so i want to recommend this book to anyone who's listening and it's called in the time of the butterflies by julia alvarez although this book is non-fiction and it's not completely true i learned a lot from from reading this book in high school and this book is about literally the mirabal sisters case and um how Trujillo affected them personally just them even though he wow. affected many more women but yeah, this book is really good for anyone who's trying to really learn about the Mirabal sisters and Trujillo and all. You know, I was actually supposed to read that book in high school, but for some reason they decided to skip it. But I, I'm probably <laughs> going to get the book myself because yeah. I have seen it. I have been recommended that book multiple times, so it's to the point where I should get it. 
But um, one more thing I just wanted to touch up upon, because I know throughout the podcast, you've been mentioning that he still has an influence on men today. And mm-hmm. I remember like our original, um, I guess, topic was supposed to be about how, how women are impacted still today from through Hijo's uh, dictatorship. And right. I guess like based off of the information that we have now, um, just the fact that he has been an influence, you know, influence influencing the people that were alive at his time you know mm-hmm. that trauma passes down by generation so that's generation. why I'm assuming, mm-hmm. i guess that's why i'm assuming that when you said that men still choose to treat women poorly it's because um generational trauma passed down so like yeah guys little boys were seeing the way men were treating their wives which was their moms and they thought it was okay and that's why they're doing it that way to their own wives today and it's really sad but it's actually pretty common you know in latin american countries and caribbean countries and hispanic countries but is there anything else you want to add carla yeah no um that um i know a lot of dominican men now like like when you meet a typical dominican man sometimes they'll be like jolly and happy but most of the time when it's like fathers and like um big figures in the dominican republic it's mostly men like dictators like it's a lot of men trying to be a dictator going along the steps of 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 um trujillo and i still see that now and i see like a lot of like men are mean and like um pushy and you know what's that word like toxic basically oh yeah toxic my oh so like basically my Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, wow. basically, and I see that now in a lot of fathers and grown men in the Dominican Republic. Wow, so it's just crazy to think that this man is still doing horrible things to the country, yeah. you know? Like, he just has a long-lasting effect. And I think, I guess, this is a perfect place to end off the podcast. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed as well, and I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation between Carla and I. Okay, okay. thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks again to our students from both this week's episode and last week's for sharing their work and contributing to these special episodes. Next week, Rojo and I will be back with fresh episodes. This season, we will be prioritizing Afro-Latinidad. First up is Afro-Latinidad, television and film. As I mentioned last week, in this episode, we'll be considering intersectional representation in the FX series Pose and the film I Like It Like That. In the meantime, let us know what you think. Share your thoughts with us. You can always reach out to us on social media or by email. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Latinx Visions or send us an email at latinxvisions at gmail.com. Subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on both Apple and Spotify. It really helps with the algorithms, getting more listeners, and more visualization on the podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 